Well, I wish that I could make preaching look as easy as Pastor Dave and Bill do. In fact, I wish that Bill was up here right now doing this. But Pastor Dave is working at a walk this weekend, and so you're stuck with me. As usual, um, I don't have an original thought in my head, and so I borrowed heavily from a number of sources. The the two that uh, most often come to mind as I put this message together was a man named Brennan Manning who wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and another man, Les Parrott, who wrote a book called Love Like That. There are some others that also creep in here, um, Margaret Manning Scholl and B.J. Funk and uh, John MacArthur. So when you put those all together and mix them up, this is what you get. (laughs) The scripture for this message comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, beginning in chapter 4, verse 7. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. I grew up in a uh, small farming community in the middle of the corn and soybean fields in the prairies of East Central Illinois. This was during the 50s and 60s. Anybody remember back that far? Good. Um, When you grew up in that town uh, during that time, there were two things that dominated your life. One was school. And for that community and our family, the other was church. We attended church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening prayer service and Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And usually there was a revival once a year. Uh, I went to choir practice with my mom and deacons meetings with my dad. And over the years, I gradually came to realize that this congregation was a very legalistic congregation. It was filled with people that professed one thing on Sunday and who yet lived out their life in an entirely different manner the rest of the week. The pastor was criticized behind his back. 
church members gossiped about the person who sat next to them in the pew. Church staff spent time dousing fires of pessimism and cries of discord. In fact, they were so busy with the busyness of the church that they had no time for the real business of the church. Church for me became a bed of contention, disagreement, and pain. I finally determined that this was a church filled with sinners and hypocrites. I wanted something different. I wanted something more. And so it was that at the tender age of 13, I sat down with my parents and we eventually changed churches. You know what I found at the second church? A second church filled with sinners and hypocrites. But it was a church that was different because that congregation lived under grace and not under the law. As a sinner redeemed by grace, I know that I am often unloving, irritable, angry, and resentful. And if you don't believe that, just ask Margie. But you know, when I go to church, I want to be able to leave my mask behind and admit that I have failed. I don't want to apply any kind of spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to God. Because He not only loves me as I am, He knows me as I am. There was an old rancher out in Lake County, Oregon, and mysteriously his herds began to increase while the surrounding ranches' herds began to decrease. Well, this kind of upset the neighbors, and so they began to gather evidence against him. And when they had finally gathered enough evidence, they presented it to the sheriff in Lakeview, which was the county seat of Lake County. Well, the old rancher was subsequently arrested for cattle rustling and brought to trial. And about the same time, there was a young defense attorney down in Modoc County, California, just across the state line, who was making quite a uh, name for himself. In fact, he had never lost a case. And so the old rancher hired the young attorney to defend him in court. The case came to trial, and the jury returned a verdict of not guilty. Well, after the trial, the rancher and the lawyer walked down the steps of the courthouse. And as they were going down the steps, the the lawyer turned to the rancher and he said, just between you and me, were you really guilty of the charges brought against you? And the old rancher smiled and he said, 
You know, before the trial, I was pretty sure I was guilty. But after listening to your brilliant defense, and especially that impassioned closing argument, well, now I'm not quite so sure. That's me. My whole life is a series of paradoxes. Sometimes I'm pretty sure I'm guilty. But there's other times, well, I'm not quite so sure. I believe, and yet I doubt. I hope, and yet I get discouraged. I love, and I hate. I'm trusting, and yet I'm suspicious. I'm honest, and yet I still play games. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm deeply loved by God, and yet I have done nothing to deserve it. God's love is not a reward for my faithfulness, my generosity, or my work. Paul tells us in Ephesians, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God, not by anything you have done so that nobody, nobody can claim credit. Art Jones was fond of saying that mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. This idea of God's grace is one of the most difficult qualities of the Christian faith that I struggle with. Grace is a gift. It's unconditional. It can't be earned or achieved. Grace is by definition unfair. It doesn't make any sense. That's the point. If you want to love like Jesus, you can't limit your love only to those who deserve it. Remember the woman caught in adultery? She was brought before Jesus and she was saved and not stoned. She was given grace and not guilt. Walter Trobus says, Christ accepts us as we are, but when he accepts us, we cannot remain as we are. Jesus radiates grace toward a woman caught in adultery, toward tax collectors and prostitutes, toward Roman soldiers, toward a prodigal son, toward a Samaritan woman with serial husbands. Nowhere is God's grace more evident than at the cross, where Jesus offers grace and forgiveness to his persecutors, even while at the same time suffering the pain and endurance of the crucifixion. Instead of condemning them, 
Instead of calling down fire from heaven, Jesus extends grace. If you had to rate how well you offer the benefit of doubt to others, or how much you appreciate the perspectives of those who differ from your own, would you say you're above average? Most of us come from the Lake Wobegon era, where all the men are good-looking, all the women are strong, and all the children are above average. You see, we don't consider ourselves closed-minded. That's why almost every one of us considers ourselves above average. We think most everyone else suffers from judgmentalism, but not me. I would rather believe good things about myself than face the truth. You see, it rubs me the wrong way to admit my faults. I dismiss whatever doesn't jive with my own self-image by seeing the bad qualities in others. Why can't that woman just control her kids? That guy's constantly smiling. It's so phony and obnoxious. What a bunch of losers. They just need to get a job. You see, we need to highlight other people's faults in order to dodge our own. We may think we're above average when it comes to being non-judgmental. But as Brian Lagenfeld says, rare is the person who can weigh the faults of others without putting his own thumb on the scales. Being judgmental keeps us from being grace givers. You see, you can't give grace while at the same time feeling self-righteous. Grace only comes through a humble heart. Grace is received, not achieved. God's grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what He has done for us. C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. When you see or hear someone doing or saying the inexcusable, we should ask ourselves this question. I wonder what's going on with that person that I don't know about. You see, by asking this question, it puts our own spirit of self-righteousness on hold, and it allows grace to enter the scene. The Holy Spirit lives within ordinary people. The Holy Spirit lives within cracked pots. 
These are ordinary people going about their daily tasks. They don't sit down to be served. They kneel down to serve. They don't complain about the feeble preaching or the lifeless worship within their local church. Instead, they are happy to have a place to go mingle with other beggars at the door of God's mercy. Beggars know how to open their hands, writes Sue Monk Kidd, trusting that the crumbs of grace will fall. The Holy Spirit moves us from self-rejection to self-acceptance. But that self-acceptance is only anchored in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We stumble often, but we do not spend hours in self-recrimination. We quickly repent, offering our broken moments to the Lord. You see, we have been crucified with Christ, and we no longer live but rather it is Christ who lives through us. We often accept the gospel of grace in theory, but we deny it in practice. So what do we do with this freedom that we find in Christ? Do we just keep on doing whatever we want to do? After all, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Do we keep on sinning so that God's grace can multiply? The idea being that the more I sin, the more grace I receive. Therefore, I'm going to sin like crazy so God can receive more glory by giving me more grace. Paul asks this very question, in his letter to the Romans. And then he answers that question. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, You are slaves to the one you obey. Either of sin, leading to death, or of obedience, leading to righteousness. As believers, we are not in bondage to the law, and yet we are not free to disregard the spirit of the law, obedience to Christ. There's no need to force an external control on Christians because we are internally controlled by the Spirit. We function internally from the heart, not externally by a series of rules and regulations. In spite of how it may sound, I am grateful for that first church that I was in such a hurry to leave. For it was there that I first saw myself as a sinner in need of a Savior. Just as I am profoundly grateful 
for the second church where I encountered the grace and the love of that Savior. I have learned through the process that I was just as much a part of the problem as a part of the solution. I was under the impression that once I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, an irreversible, sinless nature was in my future. Imagine my disappointment when I went to the dentist a few days later and they discovered a cavity. I've spent the last 60 years opening my life to that Savior and then taking it back again because I know a better, faster, easier, and more relevant way than God. This whole idea of loving like Jesus is irrational. It goes against the grain. The bar that he set for us is entirely out of reach. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to produce this Christ-like character within us in ways that we cannot accomplish on our own. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Where am I? Faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. This is not a to-do list that we are to accomplish. Rather, we need to simply rely on our friend, the Holy Spirit, to produce this fruit within us. The more we lean on Him, the more the fruit will become evident in us. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you, in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the harvest is sure to be abundant. The God on display in the Bible is not afraid nor surprised by my humanity, nor does he shy away from using those who many consider undesirable. It is this common humanity which is on display so frequently in my own life that keeps me believing in its truth and its relevance. We have a God who values us so much that he sent his only son, who took on flesh, who became a jar of clay, and who gave us an immeasurable treasure. I can't love at the highest level without him loving through me. God turns my best efforts, which often fall short, into something better than I could ever offer on my own. The Christian is one who is broken to the point where it is apparent that the transforming power of the gospel is from God and from God alone. I have this treasure in a very cracked pot. 
and the treasure is not me, but the Spirit of Christ who lives in and through me. To God be the glory. Amen.